Hi, back again to continue the story, the growing battle with the binger. We're talking about the voices, the escalating conflict, the growth of that voice from internal critic to accuser, and the growth of fear, and um, the treadmill. They're some of the things we've been talking about in the last few videos. I hope they're helpful. I'm doing this because there's been questions about the voices, and I have promised that I would talk a little bit more about that. So here goes. Growing battle with the binger. I was an outpatient at Rivendell for two months before being admitted, it admitted as an inpatient. The most significant development of this outpatient period was that my binging intensified. At the time, I had no idea that the binger was a part of me. I identified only with my restricting good girl, anorectic self. I was convinced the binger was my enemy, threatening to explode the safe, secure world I had created with all my rules and regulations. I had yet to discover she was a hungry, needy part of me that refused to be pushed down and denied forever. Diary. When I eat madly after dinner, is it because my body needs it? I eat what I see, and usually leftovers, but I think it's greed and it must be controlled. At first, her eating impulses and splurges were relatively easy to contain, with stricter rules, less food, and more exercise. But the more I denied her, the more she fought back. The binges became larger and more frequent. With time, I, restricting, anorectic Michelle, was making increasingly impossible demands on my dwindling frame. And the fear was growing that the day would come when I would be too weak and emaciated too weak and exhausted, sorry, to pay for the binger's misdeeds with exercise. I was always banking pounds. The more weight I lost, the more pounds I had in the bank to play with. It felt like it could never be enough. The price the accuser demanded of me for failing to keep a lid on the binger was growing, was getting higher and harder to pay all the time. Banking, banking pounds helped keep at bay the outrageous fear of the approaching rainy day when the accuser would call in a debt that I could not pay. She would then have the legal right to declare me guilty as charged, unworthy and undeserving of my life. This thought filled me with absolute sheer terror. In 1978, at the age of 15, I could not describe the lead up to a binge. I was aware of a dreadful sense of tension building up inside me that I now know reflected the growing conflict between my suppressed and hungry binging self and my conflicted, fearful, restricting self. I was torn between a legitimate desire to have something and an irrational terror of what would happen if I loosened my grip and lost control. Beyond this reasonably understandable psychological conflict, I felt driven and goaded by forces beyond myself that I can only describe as malevolent. The following excerpt, written in 1987, recalls my desperate struggle to stay on top of this thing that at the time was the only way I could describe the complexity of voices at war within me. Discipline, rigid, strict, trying so hard to, to suppress the fearful thing inside that I knew when it hit me I'd be lost and out of control. Anger, bitterness, hurt, confusion, anger that it was beyond my control, that when it came over me I was flung into deep waters with no land in sight totally lost and drowning in it, cast back on the shore a wreck, trying to salvage self-image and self-esteem, battle supreme. Trying to make the most of the wreck and warily, cautiously trying my foot on land. 
making my control more stringent so that I would not be lost at sea again, salvaging the wreck as best as possible, getting up and trying to move forward, endless cycle, exhaustion, despair, frustration, anger. What's wrong with me? Why can't I control this thing inside? It's an effort to even try and hold ground. What are you doing? Can't you see how skinny you are? Don't you know you're killing yourself? Can't you see how you're destroying your family? When I'm not completely lost in it, yes, I can see the insanity of my situation. Yes, I know it all. You can't tell me a thing about nutrition, weight, calories, energy expenditure and exercise that I don't know. Yes, you and I can talk to where blue in the face about what I should do to get back to my normal weight, eat more, balance it, don't be so obsessive about exercise, don't be so obsessive about every little bite, don't be so obsessed, God help me, you're missing the whole point, I am obsessed. In fact, it feels like I'm possessed, I'm possessed by this thing that wants me to do the exact opposite of what I want to do. And when I'm in the throes of this thing, nothing is rational. There is no sanity. Talk means nothing. Michelle valiantly tries to rationalize away this other voice that gets progressively louder and more dominant that seems bent on her destruction. Talk means nothing. Fear is consuming. And as I slip over the edge and lose control, I am consuming, consuming, consuming. Afterwards, I'm saner and loaded, burdened with an incredible guilt so heavy that if I don't do something to offload it, I'm sure I shall sink into the ground and beyond. Every ounce of bad food weighs so much more on the guilt scales. I can't breathe. I can't function until I get rid of this. Scourge the food. Exercise. 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 Keep going. Not a calorie can be spared. Rid the guilt by any means possible. If someone forces me to eat what is unacceptable to my distorted way of thinking, or if they pin me down to stop me exercising later, and they would literally have to pin me, I am overwhelmed with anger. Do not get in my way. Every time you make me eat, I hate you for every calorie you force down my throat. Because every calorie you force down my throat, I will have to exercise it away. Otherwise, I know no peace. Can't you see how exhausted my body is? I don't want to skip rope for another 40 minutes because you made me eat that bit of cake. I don't want to eat because I don't want to exercise. Don't make me eat, please. I sit in fury and extreme frustration. Each mouthful having difficulty going down, I'm choking on my fury also. Away from the table as quickly as possible. God, my parents won't even let me exercise anymore. They leave me no way to scourge myself of this dreaded weight in my stomach. I can see it on my body when I look in the mirror. I'm walking around the house trying to appear okay when the voices inside my head are dementing me. I plead that I would just like to take a walk to the beach. Thank God that I live near the ocean. They relent. Okay, but just walk. I'm relieved as I walk out, skipping rope, hidden under sweater. I head straight for the surf club change rooms and begin to jump rope furiously for 45 minutes. Occasionally someone walks in. Shock registers on their face as they witness a Belson horror, feverishly skipping rope. Sometimes I just ignore them and keep going, as if it's the most normal thing in the world to be doing. Other times I'm overcome with shame, when for a brief moment my mind perceives the ludicrous reality of my situation. At such, at such times I wish the ground would open up and swallow me. What bliss to, what bliss to have my tormented soul at peace at last. When I get home, my highest state of agitation has been purged, and if asked why I was so long, I just say I've been sitting watching the waves. Home again. God, I hate to be home. Home means being near the kitchen, 
The kitchen beckons to me so strongly. How to cope? I cook glorious, creamy, cheesy, calorie-laden delights for the family dinner. While making the meal, I save with my mind the delights that must not pass my lips, fearful of the heavy penalty to be exacted should I fall prey to the temptation, hating myself with a vengeance if I do fall prey. When I don't join the family for the sumptuous feast, I explain that I've been picking the whole time I've been preparing. This is sometimes true, but I make extreme exaggerations about the amount I've consumed. If I really have picked more than my rigid guidelines allow, I must escape to some sanctuary where I can again perform the exercise ritual. Exercise is varied, but my skipping rope becomes my most reliable ally, a way to exercise vigorously in the most compact of spaces and easy to transport. Sometimes I lie awake at night with the mental image of my skipping ropes hanging like a noose from the rafter in the downstairs room where I do most of my skipping. It's a clear and chilling picture. The worn part of the rope where it constantly hits the ground when I skip is frayed and in the centre of the noose. I know that anorexia, the starving and over-exercising, is killing me, albeit slowly. But I can see no other way to keep a lid on the fear and the hunger growing inside me. So that's an excerpt I wrote in the first person some years after I was actually going through that experience. And then I explain it like this. In denying the binger, I was making things worse, but I had no idea prior to my hospital admission that the binger was a part of me and that I was fighting myself. Every time she read her ugly head in a binge, the accuser was hot on her heels, rubbing her hands together with glee, declaring me guilty of failure and demanding I pay up, terrorizing me. Together, they became the monster under the lid. I could not separate them. This is important to understand because I had one battle strategy, keep the lid on, for two very different opponents. The binger, my hungry self, needed to be acknowledged and nurtured in appropriate ways. The accuser, destructive and feeling separate to me, needed to be challenged and shut up. I was fighting a war I could not win, not with the strategy I was adopting. As a, as a battle went on, the swings between my restricting and binging intensified to the point where during my hospital stay, mum was concerned that I was schizophrenic. And the accuser, Annie, revealed a new aspect to her persona, that of tempter tauntress, just to turn up the heat. It appeared that the more successful I, restricting Michelle, was at keeping a lid on the binger, the more Annie delighted in setting me up to sabotage me by having the tempter tauntress draw the binger out. It truly felt like Annie, this voice, hated me, wanting to prove how hopeless and undeserving I was, wanting to ultimately destroy me or have me destroy myself, which in the end is just about what happened. It was like she came to me in the guise of a friend, telling me I needed a little food. It was true. But if, if I gave her an inch, she would then take a mile and lead me into a binge beyond my ability to accept. She would then switch persona from tempter tauntress to accuser, scream her victory over me, my failure, declare me guilty of losing control, not being able to do what I had set out to do, and demand I pay up, exercise. Her modus operandi became tempt, taunt, accuse, condemn. I got up every day to do battle with her. By the time I was admitted to Rivendell as an inpatient, I was crawling into bed every night feeling defeated by her. She was there 
every day, although there were times when she let me think I was on my own. I would be plodding along, exercising rigid control over my eating, my pitiful attempt to defeat her efforts at breaking into my day. It would be early evening, always a vulnerable time. The day had been good so far, no food eaten off limits, and thus no marathon of physical exertion had been required. Whew, oh bliss, I would think to myself, let me crawl into bed before she catches me. But no, here she comes, Annie, tempted tauntress telling me that I must have a look in the fridge. You must have a look in the fridge. No, not interested. You must have a look in the fridge. No, you must have a look in the fridge. You know there is some leftovers in the fridge. So what? No. You never got to taste how, how nice that casserole was. No, I don't want it. Just a mouthful to taste it. No, I'm wearing down. Come on, a mouthful's nothing. You won't even, you won't even have to pay for it. You've got some leeway. You're in credit. Take a look, it can't hurt to just check it out. No, Michelle. So I'm talking to myself. No, Michelle, come on now. You must keep the lid on. Don't give in. Stick to those rigid rules. You know if it won't be just a look, just a mouthful. You know that if you give her an inch, she'll take a mile and pull the floor right out from underneath your feet. Sure, it'll just be a mouthful, Michelle. You're so good, so in control. Everyone admires your iron will. You always turn down what's been offered. Come on, just a mouthful. You've been so good today. You deserve it. Well, weakening. There's truth in what she says. You deserve it. Come on. Well, okay, but just a mouthful. Sure. Of course. Good on you. That's the way. Fridge opened. Plate of leftovers out. A mouthful. I'm trying to eat it. And the voice is now roaring in my ears. More, more, more. God, no. That's me. It's a pitiful plea and it gets totally drowned in the roar. Eat, 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 Annie shrills, lusting for the punishment to come. Yes, 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 the binger bowls me over, a hungry child, ravenous and insatiable, with no thought for the future. Ah! I, Michelle, I am lost, the restricting, attempting to be rational part of me that I identify with the most submerges into the depths of the binge. Sometime later, the eating part of the process is over and I am slowly finding my voice again. It can take time to be heard. Sometimes I can get a word right in, right home to my body, and I can leave the binge for a few minutes, buy some time, try and rationalise away that other voice. Often Annie just laughs right back in my face. Ha! You thought I'd left you, that you were one up on me. No way. You know when I decide to take the driving seat, you've got no say in it. Well, I'm back, and you haven't finished. Hence, a bit more consuming. Eventually, somewhere down the road of time and oblivion, Annie's, Annie, tempted tauntress, has had her fun. The binger is satiated and quiet, and Michelle is left standing desolate, staring at the remains. Every consumable thing in no particular order has been thrown down my throat to try and fill the big black void that was there when Annie was in, in command and now is gone. Now I stand, defeated and appalled, angry and frustrated, stomach full to the mirror, I think I already see the added pounds, distorted image, distorted thinking, guilt, 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 anger, guilt. I let it beat me. I shouldn't have. I should be able to control this thing. This shouldn't happen. Why can't I control this? God, what's going on here? When will this stop? How do I stop this? Somebody help me. Anybody, please. Now the accuser jumps in, pushing the throttle into overdrive, convincing me that I'm a hopeless, worthless waste of space. 
So my mind feels like a circus wheel spinning out of control. I'm in a maze and I can't find the way out. Destruction is at the center and every dead end I run up feels like it laughs and jeers at me, challenging me to find an exit. I'm running hard, but I seem to be getting closer to the center all the time. I'm not there yet, but it's getting thicker, denser, closing in. I'm running on empty. I'm so weary and exhausted. If I could just get above the maze, maybe I could see the way out, but I'm in the thick of it and all I can see are the walls. Please, somebody help me. If I don't find a way out soon, I'll be too exhausted to go on. Desperation keeps me running, but despair is hard on my heels. So, that's a first-person recollection of what it was like to be in that battle. Me, fearful, anorectic, Michelle, and that binging part of me that I hadn't yet recognised as me. That was just that hungry, suppressed part that started to rise up in binges. And in between that battle between the restrictor and the binger, there was the accuser and the tempter tauntress. It's like Annie, who had always been accusing me and asking me to prove my worth, as I got right down the bottom of the scales, she started to change her face. She became a bit two-faced. That's how it felt. So she would lure me out and tempt me to eat just a little bit because I deserved it. And it was true. And I was starving. And of course, the binger, that hungry, suppressed part of me would go, yes, come on. And then I would just give an inch. And it's like, I just couldn't hear anything. The binge would go, yes, yes, yes. And the tempter would go, yes, yes, yes. And I'd start to eat, eat, eat and get lost in that space. And then when I came back into my own sense of once the binge was over, the accuser just came in and beat me up and I went back to restricting. And that's that, that dialogue with those voices. So what I have discovered is that there are Voices that are me, the psychological con, you know, conflict between my restricting self, my restricting fearful anorectic self and my hungry suppressed binging self. That There was a conflict there that was very much a psychological conflict between my fearful child, if you like, and my hungry angry child. You know, that they were both fearful and dominated and they were fighting. But the accuser and the tempter tauntress, they just felt like something else. And I have talked about a spiritual dimension. And, you know, I know it's, you know, I'm sure it's very contestable territory. But I really did feel when I was at the bottom of the scales and dealing with that destructive, annihilating voice. I mean, it's, its intention was completely my destruction. And I couldn't fight it. It was bigger than me. It, it was it kind of super, it was superimposed on that psychological natural fight there was this super natural seeming element that honestly you know there's a lot more to say on this and it doesn't have to be spooky because what drives out fear fear is in our thinking it is in our emotions and i believe it is in there's a spiritual dimension to it too that we're dealing with a psycho spiritual conflict here and um you know, I don't want to get complicated. What I've discovered is what drives out fear is love. And perfect love, unconditional love, drives out fear perfectly. So any love that we receive deep in our heart can help us fight that fear. The weird thing is, or it's probably not so weird, with anorexia, 
you have so bought into the lie that you don't deserve to live that it's very hard for the love around you and the nurture around you from parents and friends and support. It's hard for that to get in. But once that starts to get in, it can help us to start to receive some love. And that love, human love, divine love, that will push out the fear that drives us and help us to behave in more health-promoting, life-affirming ways. It's so important. Much more to say, but I just wanted to bring something to the table about the voices so that you can have some dialogue with me, with other people, with the people you're working with in your own treatment, um, with those who care for you. You can obviously access those chapters. You can read them in the book. I just thought I'd speak them out to you so that you just so that they can be out there where more people can access them, talk about them. I mean, I don't experience those voices at all now and haven't for years, but that's pretty mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? I mean, it really is. I didn't have schizophrenia. I wasn't a split personality, um, but those voices ramped up to such a degree that I certainly felt really it's a very hard place to exist and you know some people lose their fight in that battle they get worn down they get exhausted it's it's one of the things that makes me do and reveal myself in this way because you know you to get help you've got to talk about what's really happening so I hope in doing that that's helping someone out there I'd love your feedback I'd love to hear how you relate to um, what I've shared Okay, take it easy.